Hey everybody, on today's episode we're going to be talking about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse from 2018. We recommend watching the film ahead of time, firstly because it's amazing, secondly because it will make the discussion more interesting to listen to. So Mike, what is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse about? Well, Peter Parker and Mary Jane seem to finally be on the right track in their complicated relationship, but trouble looms for the superhero and his lover. Peter's Spider-Man suit turns black and takes control of him, not only giving Peter enhanced power and dance moves, but also bringing out the dark side of his personality. Peter must overcome the suit's influence as two supervillains, Sandman and Venom, rise up to destroy him and all those he hold dear. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You can't see it, Mike, but I'm I'm doing the Picard face palm right now. Yes. Because I'm just disappointed in you and this podcast. The best superhero and everything movie. We've done. Nick, I mean, to be fair, will... I think all those things are in the movie. See? I, I actually kind of think they are. Yes. Yeah. So he's he's not technically wrong. That was an I am so summary. glad Nick is here to finally give me some backup to your bullshit, John. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Welcome to this film could be your life. Uh, this is this is a horrible start already. Welcome once again to This Film Could Be Your Life. I'm Jonathan Devine, joined as always by Mike Overstreet. Hello! This week we're also being joined by a guest. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Nick. Hi, my name is Nick Meyer, and I'm one of the co-owners of Fallout Comics. Woo! Nick, From Nick, in Tallahassee, Nick, Florida. Nick, that's right. Nick, and a friend of Mike, like yeah, Florida. absolutely. Yeah, Nick is... Uh... So do you know anything about Spider-Man as a, as a comic store owner? Does he ever come up? Uh, who's who's that spider-man is he the one that dresses like a bat aren't we doing there yeah we we're doing batman forever right that's wait i'm so lost we're doing batman forever <laughs> nipples <laughs> huzzah it's about time it's about time for the kilmer sons i've been saying it ever since i rewatched tombstone okay here we go so we're talking man we should do tombstone uh we're talking about spider-man into the spider-verse this is the 2018 american uh animated superhero film comes from lord and miller uh Sorry, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who are well known for their work on the Lego movie, um, as well as a few other animated films. And sorry, 21 Drum Street and 22 Drum Street. You can't forget those, actually, the pinnacle of their careers. The movie was directed by Bob Baruchetti, Peter Ramsey, and Rodney Rothman. Uh, it stars, excuse me, Shamik Moore, Jake Johnson, Haley Steinfeld, Mahershala Ali, Brian Tyree Henry, Lily Tomlin. John Mulaney, Kamiko Glenn, Nicholas Cage, and Lee insane. Schreiber. This is insane. Nicholas Cage always. You forgot Chris Pine. Snicks. And, I'm sorry, and Jake Chris Johnson. Pine as well. Come on. This cast. I definitely said Jake Johnson. Yeah, whatever. I definitely said Jake Johnson. I have Jake never Johnson, once listened to you on this podcast. It is an absolutely unbelievable cast. Real quick, also, the music is by Daniel Pemberton. I have to mention the music because we'll get to that. And it's edited by Robert Fisher Jr., uh, this is basically an adapt. Well, it's not exactly adapted, but actually, Nick, you may even be able to help us right from the get go here because this is kind of pulling from the Spider-Man Spider-Verse uh, arc from 2014 and 2015, I want to say, in the comic series, which I haven't read. I know that it, it broadly encompasses a lot of similar ideas. However, this 
story focuses specifically on Miles Morales, which Lord and Miller said was their reason for wanting to do the project in the first place. Initially, when they jumped on, they were kind of concerned because there had been six Spider-Man movies before this movie. Um, I guess I want to start there because we kind of start by talking about our history with the movie and, and just broad impressions of it. Uh, Mike, I'll ask you first, is this the best superhero movie that's ever been made? Uh, pass. <laughs> I don't really. What are you talking about? I don't really know. Um, I because I think there's always going to be the Dark Knight, and that's always okay. kind of going to have. And I'm saying this entirely subjectively. That's always going to have a special yeah. uh, place yeah. in my life because I was what 16, 18 when it came out. So I was like basically perfectly sure. primed to be just in the Christopher Nolan hive um, and to drink the Heath Ledger Joker Kool-Aid. So I think that movie probably for my, my money is my favorite and probably the one I would hold up as quote unquote best in terms of superhero. But this is, I mean, this is number two, if it's not number one, um, I would definitely say this is the most original superhero movie ever made and probably the most innovative. So um, I actually, want to tangent immediately because you you mentioned yeah, Nick ahead. might be able to help with this. Nick, what what is the history of Miles Morales? Because I think whenever I think of this movie, that was a character I, as someone who is only tangentially a comic book reader, that's a character I never even heard of. So it was a breath of fresh air. So what is what is the backstory there? Yeah, a lot of this movie actually draws from the ultimate comic universe, which I think the MCU kind of does as well, but they, they do it different. So Miles actually started in the alternate universe, the ultimate universe, where Peter Parker totally existed as a teenager and had the standard Peter Parker story arc. Okay. Actually, there were two sets of Ultimate Spider-Mans because it's comic books and we can't just have one thing. So they <laughs> did course, a whole yeah. they did a whole this Ultimate Spider-Man run. Great illustration of that point, actually. And then they did a second Ultimate Spider-Man run where they started him over. He got bit by the spider. They did the thing, and then Peter Parker actually gets killed in a big fight with the Sinister Six on the bridge. And Miles sees it, he gets bit by the spider, and then we get Ultimate Spider-Man, which is now more commonly known. Like, if you see the Ultimate Spider-Man title, it's actually mostly referring to Miles now. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not totally sure if I knew any of that. Actually, I'm going to just jump off of that, uh, Nick, and, and ask you... So, you know, again, talking about our history with this movie, where is this sit for you in terms of portrayals of you know, maybe the second or third most iconic character in all of all of comic books. Yeah, I mean, I think I think in comic books, Spider-Man is almost, if not everyone's favorite, one of everyone's favorites mm -hmm. or right. they at least yeah. like a spider person. <laughs> um, but there are a bunch of them. And uh, but I think this is the best superhero movie that's been made. Yeah. It's the wow. one that I think fits you the tone the You went there with Mike Wittett. I'm so happy to have you on this show. Mike really <laughs> chickened coward. out of that. I'm a coward, a guys. I... Keep going, Nick. 
I I think like this one of of all of comic book movies, which I generally like comic yeah, but, book movies. But Nick, it's, hold it's, on, let me stop you. Right, what about the Dark Knight Rises? I mean, what about Bane? What okay. about... <laughs> <laughs> Can you get us strawberries? Yeah, that guy. Yeah, not one, not Bane, and Heinz Ward would have never scored a touchdown on a kickoff. <laughs> Thank God, Nick's here. So, okay, good evidence. You're right. That's Spider Verse is better than that movie. You're right. Okay, point seated. <laughs> But the I think the interesting thing from a comic book background is is there's been a couple Spider-Verse comic books, but like the original Spider-Verse comic is not really anything like this movie at all. Hmm. Minus that there's a bunch of spider people in it. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. it, so it's it's just taking the, the, you know, vague idea of the Spider-Verse, but this movie is an original creation is, is kind of what you're saying, right? Yeah, it, it definitely yeah. is to introduce people to the spider people in a more friendly way. That one has like a whole race of like intergalactic vampire people that just want to eat spider people to live forever. Fair. So that frankly, I'm I'm now deeply disappointed that's not in this movie. But uh, who knows? There's two sequels filmed back to back. We so. can get those those vampire people yet. Oh, there we go. Awesome. Uh. Well, we do. Well, actually, before we get into that, I, really quick on the history of the film, I I also you know love this movie. Obviously, when I saw it when it came out, there was a lot of there was a lot of word of mouth, as I recall, with this movie. I actually think it came out at an interesting time because there was a certain superhero fatigue that had maybe started to to perpetuate by 2018, right? And I was not I, I was not immune to that. I was sort of over the idea of yet another Spider Man movie. Um, but the the word of mouth for this movie was so astounding and so overwhelming. I want to say, Mike, you might have even told me that I had to go see it. I, I don't totally remember. At any rate, I, I did go to see it. I remember going with a lot of family, and I remember some of the oldest members of the family uh, being. I, I, I genuinely I, the movie is very fast, and I, I I feel like it might even be a little bit overwhelming if you're not totally keeping up with all of the pop culture uh references and 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 you know all of the things happening at once in the movie uh so you know i can't speak for their experience but otherwise everyone was just like that was one of the most fun exciting things we've ever seen and i've i don't know i've rewatched this movie tons of times so it just it's just absolutely incredible yeah i think Um, i think real quick to jump onto that i think that's incredibly similar to mine and now's a good time to mention that nick and i have been uh, like you know, best friends since kindergarten. Uh, we've known each other essentially our entire lives, and I would say Nick, mm-hmm. you could you could speak into this ever even since we were children. I would say that Nick's enthusiasm for comic book movies, cough Electra, has been um greater than my own, and that's actually co- probably very true with like our whole friend group. I think my brother and some of our other friends. I- I'm usually I like them, but I'm not as high on them. So I remember you're kind of a Scrooge I, I, in your own I way. do yeah. remember Nick and my brother just like flipping about this movie and me kind of dragging my feet to go see it and it being a real like eat shit moment because I saw it. And I was like, yeah, no, that's not a Marvel movie. This is so much better than anything I've probably like you've been saying I've probably ever seen. So, um, you know, Nick doesn't always pull yeah. a, a movie one over on me, but he got me on this one. <laughs> 
Uh, 100% Yeah, for sure. This is one of the few movies that I saw in movie theaters multiple times, once specifically to drag you the second time. (laughs) That's true. Nice. I forgot about that. I can totally believe that entire thing playing out exactly like that. Because, you know, all all love to you, Mike, but you you can, you you have a certain aversion to, I think, Marvel movies specifically. Not that you don't watch them, but that uh, you can be curmudgeonly about them. Well, I think... So I can imagine... I think it's a lot more the fatigue you're talking about. I mean, I was all in on Mm -hmm. Iron Man. I was one of the people who thought Iron Man 1 was better than Batman Begins, which I don't think anymore, but at the time, that was my take. Um and yeah, by just like you're saying, by the time this movie came out, it was just like, God dang, another Spider-Man reboot, which means it's going to be another Marvel classic hero's journey with a bad villain, you know, kind of movie I've seen a thousand times. And this wasn't that. So, but I definitely think that's why I had hesitation. I was just kind of done. And, and my God, they have done nothing to change that attitude since. So, um, but anyway, well, this is one of the few movies that the the Sony Spider properties got absolutely correct. Yeah, this is the third one for sure. Hundred percent. In that case, let's just go ahead and start talking about the movie. We divide the podcast into a few different sections. We're going to start with why this movie works. I feel like that's going to be really long this nah. time. We're going to have a section about uh, what maybe holds this movie back. We'll have some stray thoughts, and then later on, we'll have some dialogue, trying to dive deeper into some of the thematic elements of the movie. Uh, but we're starting with why this movie works and it, it feels like such a fool's errand whenever we're doing this kind of movie that has so many things going for it. It's so, so hard to know where to begin. Uh, but I'm going to start with what is maybe one of the most key categories and something that I could talk endlessly about, but I'm going to try to, to hold my tongue and, and pass it to you guys. Uh, this is a visually astonishing movie. Th- this is... Of, of a caliber of visual production that I don't know if I've seen. And, and you know, this is an animated film, but I don't know if I've seen this from any kind of movie. And, and, and actually the animated side's key too, because they do so many amazing little creative touches to the way that it's animated that the movie wouldn't even work in a, like, it doesn't make sense to think of this as a, as a movie that would be made in live action. It uses the medium of animation so effectively and so consistently um, the first most obvious thing is that in keeping with the theme of the movie, it's just wildly creative and almost almost maximalist in terms of the amount of stuff you're seeing. This is also, for the record, what I think might have pushed my, my uh, grandparents out of their enjoyment of the movie, but that's fine. Just because, you know, at every second, and the movie can slow down, which we're going to talk about later, but when it's firing on all cylinders, you're just being assaulted with all of these incredibly clever creative little visual motifs and moments callbacks references to other movies references to comic books uh thematic references to itself um you know creative designs for all the different characters little touches like the the different spider people the spider-man noir in black and white with the wind which they obviously call out the way that that um penny is illustrated as this cross of anime and Western animation. And they're keeping all of these things consistent with uh, throughout the entire film. It, it's just an astonishing amount of work that had to be done uh, in order to, to, you know, just animate the movie. Obviously the action's incredible. The, the motion of all the animation is incredible. And there's all of these little tricks that they use too. I, Mike and I have already talked about, but one of the coolest things about this movie 
is that they use the frame rate of the animation of different characters as a storytelling device. It's not something you would necessarily consciously notice unless you're paying attention to this kind of thing. But Miles spends most of the first part of the movie animated at what's called animated at twos, meaning he's only being animated every other frame. So there's a little bit of a choppiness to it where other characters might be 24 frames per second. He's, he's technically 12. Um, but once he sort of embraces his, his role and has this huge character moment, he then catches up and is being animated as smoothly as other characters. And that's just a small example. There's little tricks like that happening throughout the entire film. It's, it's, it's just truly astonishing. It's an unbelievable visual experience. Uh, I don't know, Mike or Nick, whoever has some thoughts on that. What, what do you guys think? Just the, the visual side of the film, of the of the animation of the film. What, what Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll, I'll hop in here. Um, I think that this was one of the best mediums. They made every character feel familiar mm. in their animation, mm. even when Chris Pine is the first Spider-Man. When he's swinging around at the normal frame rate, you go, yeah, this is what Spider-Man is supposed to feel like. And Miles is really just observing that. And this is really also the best medium that we've ever gotten Spider-Sense. Yeah. Like Spider-Sense being yeah. animated yes. makes so much sense because it looks cool so instead cool. of having just live action Spider-Man like look back really quickly like a groundhog Ooh. and you go, oh, I know that's <laughs> Spider-Sense. No, having it all animated out. It, it, getting all the powers that people have, every cool animation, Doc Ock's tentacles, yes. like everything just feels correct. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, actually, and, and we're talking about animation specifically, but tied in with that visual design, yeah. design yeah. language. I love Doc Ock's when her hair goes up, and just like those octopus, right? Octopuses have those like big kind of uh, heads that go up and she pushes her hair up like that. There's just so many clever little visual language touches that are unreal. It's just so creative. Uh, Mike, what, what are your thoughts on the, on the visual language of the movie? Well, I think every time I've seen this movie, I've had a thought, which is just like pretty basic. It's like, why, why don't people replicate this more often? And then every time I watch the movie, I go research how they did this. And you're like, oh, because it's like really freaking hard to do. It's like, this is... Uh, pretty much yeah. one of the most revolutionary and groundbreaking animated features ever made. Um, and you guys have already touched on most of it, but I mean, I think one of the coolest things that I, I always come across in my research of this film is that they do this like really interesting layer of CGI effect and 2d like basically 2d animation over it all for the sake of like, it's both line work painting and, and dotting it to make it look like, you know, basically misprints, which you'll see in various frames. Yeah. But it's over this, like, obviously very high-tech, very modern, classic digital animation programming. And what you ultimately get is just this really cool blend of, I think, very stylistic and very seamless computer-generated images over just an all-around visual style that feels exactly like a comic book. And that blend, I yeah. think, is kind of what we're kind of feeling. We're all talking about. We're talking about how genuine this movie feels and how how perfect as a medium it feels for this this kind of a story. But what always just blows me away is just the extreme level of effort that it took for them to go into this 
and to misalign colors, to put, you know, ink blots, to do the bin day dots, to create that comic book feel on top of just, you know, creative choices, like actually literalizing the thought bubbles of characters or the blam action panel effects, all that stuff that's kind of normal for a comic book. But ultimately it comes away by feeling like this wonderful blend of the highest of high tech animation efforts on top of very standardized classical comic book drawing on top of at times even like a stop motion effect that just all works together so seamlessly that it almost boggles the mind. You know, I was thinking even on this most recent rewatch, how many scenes with the glitching there are and the distortion of images and, and very much like Nick was saying with the Spidey senses, how effective that is at rendering something that you would have done with like a stupid face in a live action movie. So I'm being like, you know, or something yeah. dumb or, or a bad CGI effect. And yet it feels so dynamic in this one. And that's before you even get to how in this animation style, it's just so easy to do things like, you know, have neon colors that just pop off the screen as accent shots that highlight just about every frame mm. or how you can use the graffiti influence of this movie to really saturate the whole film and to splatter across the camera and to flash across the screen. And it's just great. And and I think all of that, yeah. just again, I, I use the word revolutionary to start, but it really takes a level of thought and creative effort to make that feel cohesive in such a frenetic movie and it all comes together in the visuals of this film. So, yeah, I, this is by far the best part of the movie. It's by far the best vi visual style. Before I finish, let me just shout out, I know the Green Goblin in this is taken from Ultimate, the comics Nick was talking about, but he is legit terrifying as like a, a visualization sure. in this. And it's great. So, uh, big shout out to Doc Ock. Gwen's white Spider-Woman outfit is sick. I love the character renderings in this movie. And yeah, I'm done. Mic oh, drop. Yeah. The, the characters are incredible. And, and I think they also were able to take advantage of this cool situation, which is that, you know, from the movies, just from the, the pop culture saturation of the character, everyone is familiar with vague, you know, vague things about Spider-Man, right? To, to one degree or another, we all know... Mary Jane, we all know Peter, we all know Doc Ock and Green Goblin, whatever. And so by by pulling from influences from certain iterations over the comic books and adding original flair, they get to do all these things that, you know, depending on your familiarity with the characters, you have those moments, like you said, Mike, of like, oh my God, that's Green Goblin. That's what Green Goblin looks like here. It's crazy. That's what Scorpion, Scorpion's amazing. That's what yeah. Scorpion looks like in this movie. That's what... Um, and then on top of all of that, in fact, Nick, I, this is a question directly for you. I think is Prowler original to this movie? No. So okay. So I thought he was. So I, was, I take that back. I was going to say on top of all of that, they have this amazing iteration uh, or of this new character. I love Prowler, by the way, and I love the visual language of him and the Sonic thing of him. But but go ahead on 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 where he comes. Yeah, from. Yeah, the the Ultimate Universe Prowler. The almost the same story arc happens where. Um, it, it ends up being Uncle Aaron and you do figure that out. So you do still get that, that impact. But in the original, like 616 old, like in the seventies, they came out with a prowler that was a completely different character named Hobie Brown. <laughs> gotcha. But the suit you know was the I'm same. I'm glad we got Uncle Aaron. No, I like Hobie Brown. <laughs> I, Uncle Aaron, I want so Hobie Brown. Brown. No disrespect to Hobie Brown. Um, well, that, oh, I actually think that brings up a point, and this is, Nick, again, I think you probably could speak to this better, but one of the cool parts about this movie as a casual Spider-Man 
I don't know, reader and viewer, is that there's a lot of bits in this movie that I thought were just that. They were just made up bits. That when you actually talk to someone who's like, followed the history of this character, they're like, oh no, that was actually like a Spider-Man in the the 60s or whatever. You know, I always think of like Spider-Man noir and people, you know, I I just thought that was a, a utter joke. And then people were like, no, there's actually been like Spider-Man stories in which he plays like a more noir figure and is kind of like done to this, obviously in this effort, ludicrously over kind of over the top, but done to the same effect. Is that true with a lot How of these characters, you? Nick? Yeah, almost every every character. Well, not even almost. I think every character in the movie is representative of their character in their universe. Even Spider the Ham, they happen. Spider Ham does exist. <sighs> Peter Porker is in a Mike. cartoon world. <laughs> I think. Uh, I think Captain America's a rabbit. Um, but there's a whole set of um, cartoon animal superheroes in his universe dang we'll get to that a little bit later too i had that in my uh thanks mike i had that one of my stray thoughts like i could not believe that spider ham by the way the name is spider ham apparently is a real thing <laughs> but spider ham's real uh we'll have we'll have some more context on that later because i don't want to give up that stray thought because i'm too attached to it uh yeah it's it's absolutely amazing um big transition we i i you know, talking about the, I think just the production all around the technical production of this movie is insane. That's married to what maybe my favorite story and writing in a superhero movie ever, but we're going to keep that aside and stay on the production for just one more second and talk about the music and audio of the movie, which if anything is actually even better than the visuals, which is an insane thing to say, but starting with the soundtrack is just an unreal soundtrack. I think I had this play just as on my phone as like a walking somewhere or driving somewhere. Uh, this was my go-to for maybe like a year or two after it came out. Cause it's every single song is just incredible. Like, and in the movie is used in perfect moments to convey fun or drama or intensity. Um, What's up danger. Everyone knows is, is that big turning point moment in the entire movie when, um, when uh, Miles finally is able God, to so kind of accept his own what potential, a drop. Uh, that amazing shot when he's falling down or when he's, you know, the city becomes upside down as he's, he's diving down into it. It's just unreal, but also the sound design in general. And, and I already mentioned the prowler. I just want to say that little sonic motif um, actually started based on an elephant's call Um which the sound designer said he, the, the idea was he wanted it to sound both terrifying but faintly sad oh, I see which that. i think is like unreal yeah i know doesn't that yeah. once you know that and you hear it it makes a lot of sense that's crazy but the fact that it's tied so close to the character so that there's a point in the movie i don't know if you guys noticed where you hear that before you see the character i think it's when he's he shows up at, at aunt may's house and it's so cool that just by that moment, hearing the sonic motif, your brain kind of like Miles at that point is like, oh my God, he's coming. This this villain is on his way. It's so good. And there's so many touches like that as well throughout the movie. Um, and, and, you know, again, obviously the soundtrack is incredible. Do either of you guys have anything on the sound, the, the sound design or the audio track or anything like that? Yeah, I think like... The, even the diversity of the songs, because I, I was also mm. in, I bought yeah. the soundtrack right after we watched the movie on iTunes and played it on repeat for, I don't know, four months. <laughs> um, 
the the diversity of the tracks really helps it fit all the tones of every scene yes. nothing feels out of place yes. it like slower songs or even the the song that miles sings when he's relaxing sunflower where he only knows like half yep. the words that makes you relate to him as an everyman character mm. you go i sing songs i don't know the words to all the time <laughs> Also, that is a prime song for getting stuck in your head, by the way. I, every time I watch this movie, I start just humming to myself. Also, not knowing the words uh, like an idiot, but God, it's such a catchy song, man. It's unreal. Anyway, sorry. Keep going. No, it's fun. Yeah. 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 I, Mike, just, what do you have? I would almost uh, basically Nick's read, Nick read my document and scooped my notes because that's it. Um, you know, I'm not a big music guy, so this is usually John's specialty, but I think what, what always strikes with the film is that like every song absolutely perfectly matches the tone of any given scene, which is pretty wild because as Nick pointed out, there's chase scenes, blooper scenes, high school comedy scenes, action scenes. Um, and it just takes this like genre blend and, and somehow assigns each one exactly where it needs to go to. As, as you have talked about many times, John, not just like reflect or to heighten the scene, but actually to take the scene to another level. Like it actually, the soundtrack of this movie yeah. adds something. It's not just enhancing something. It is improving and adding a new layer to the film. And that's, I don't know, on top of being wildly stylish with a wonderful blend of new and old school hip hop. I can't say enough about it. Um, that elephant thing is also going to stay in the back of my head forever. That is such Isn't a that cool so cool. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I'll yeah. never forget that. Yeah, that's cool. I, I, I read that. And, and Mike, you said it too, that once you know that it's like, it makes so much sense and it's such a, it's just such a smart way of doing it really quick too. Uh, I just had this quote from, from, so Daniel Pemberton did the score. Um, I just love this. He said that the score was inspired by the boldness and the rich color palette of the film. He also says, I wanted to make something for miles that not only reflected his journey, but would give a 13 year old kid the kind of rush I had as a kid seeing films in the cinema. I think he hit it out of the park. I think if that's your goal, like I to the to the degree where I felt like I was a little kid in the movie, right? Like you're you're so overwhelmed by all that's happening. You're getting, um, yeah. I don't know. I, I was just so there for all of that in terms of this, of the sound of the film. Uh, okay. We've talked. We we've done a lot on on kind of the technical side. I want to start talking about the story of the film because I think what's fascinating about the movie is that everything we've just said would have made this like a really cool movie, but I don't know if it would have made it like a good movie. You know what I mean? Like, like there's a universe where this movie has a really subpar plotting and all of this amazing visual and technical work ends up sort of going to waste. But the reason it succeeds is because it's so expertly married to, again, I already said this earlier, but I think maybe the best story in a superhero movie I've ever seen as well. Um, I've sort of been, taking the lead on the conversation up to now so if it's okay mike i want to throw it to you um to see do you do you have any anywhere you want to start in terms of the conversation on on the thematics uh narrative of the story or just the, the story in general um yeah sure i think i think obviously when this movie came out the multiverse jumping was not as commonplace as it is today so i i do want to make sure i separate that out this is still probably the best version of a multiverse movie I've seen, even including God bless it, everything everywhere all at once. But at the time, Bold at the take. time, this was, I mean, 
revolutionary the way it's kind of depicted and engaged in this in this stylized kind of version of that story so i'm gonna put that aside mm. i think what always sticks out to me about the the plot plotting of this film is really just a few great singular creative choices i mean i think it is an a, a great decision to have the opening sequence of this movie basically be a cold open with the classical Peter Parker story that we knew, including a hilarious little bit about the dancing from Spider-Man three, basically just to hurry up yeah. and kill him in the opening 30 minutes and then introduce not only a new character that's probably largely unknown by non comic book reading audiences, but like a person of color character. And basically to take to set us up for the classical Spider-Man story and then to take us in a completely different direction about a completely different experience still wrapped in what is largely the main tropes and the main movements of this Spider-Man tale. And I just think all taking place in the first 30 minutes of the plot, that's a big creative choice. It's a big swing, a big, uh, quite probably risk that I think is, is pretty stunningly successful and makes this movie probably as effective as it is um, from those opening 30 movie on. I also want to shout out one other creative choice in the plotting, but I think it is, and I guess this isn't really a shout out because Nick already said that this is from the comics, but making the uncle into a super villain, but still having his death be the instigating kind of movement of Peter Parker's like maturation and transformation, I think is just like a brilliant decision with such higher stakes in a lot of ways than the kind of classic mm. Spider-Man arc. Um, is both more complex yeah. and also more gut-wrenching in ways and also gives the uncle a lot more um, weight and a lot more, quite frankly, interest for me than just being the sacrificial lamb that has to, that, that like necessarily is used to get the hero out of the village. So those are like the two yeah. big choices from this film that always stand out in terms of creative plotting. Um, I'm going to stop talking, though, and kick it to someone else to talk about really the larger schema of the film. Well, and, and really quick, I want to throw it to Nick to, to talk about that. But just to comment on what you said very quickly, I actually had initially had a take. I, I didn't pursue it, but I started to write down the, the comparing or understanding how this movie works on a story perspective by comparing it to everything that Marvel does wrong. Um, and one of the things I think, like you said, Mike, is there, there are real stakes in this movie and there's a real villain and there's real character growth. Like th there's so much happening that you really believe in i guess just the stakes of the story and in in the necessity of the character growth a, a lot of superhero movies there's a certain fantasy indulgence that's happening where, where it's also begging you to think oh i really want to be that character i think why this movie succeeds part of why is that it, it it doesn't really fall into that trap in my experience obviously you think well it'd be cool to be a superhero but it really portrays the character of Spider-Man in, in a way that I think is, from what I gather, relatively true to the uh, incarnation of the character in the books as being pretty tough, a, a pretty tough beat, honestly. And, you, like, you know, again, there's so much that he has to go through and so much, so many ways he has to grow. And that's really exciting from a storytelling perspective. That's what keeps me engaged and wanting to go on this journey with him. Um is that there are there's a lot of depth to it and there there's a lot at I guess just a lot at stake. Um, I, Nick, we we've touched on a lot of different things. Anything you want to pick up there? Uh, uh, go for yeah, it. Yeah, the the point you just made, I did my homework too. So like the first note that I wrote 
is every character fits an archetype that makes them instantly relatable. The good guys, the bad guys. The first Peter Parker is like the every man that you want to aspire to be, the selfless hero. And then they kill him. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a, like a, the Godzilla rule. Like, you don't kill Spider-Man. Yeah. So they kill him, make you feel bad. I teared up. This this movie makes you feel things. Yeah. And then, like, yeah. Miles is the everyman teenager that people have been that's figuring it out. And sure. even the bad guys, like, Wilson Fisk, his whole plot arc, it's super selfish, but I get it. He's He's angry. Yeah. He's got rage. He's trying to bring his family back to life. So almost every character in the movie has motivations that makes them way more relatable than like I'm an alien space god who's immune to bullets. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you didn't even mention Peter B. Parker, uh, the Jake Johnson. What? How does Miles refer him? Washed up <laughs> hobo <laughs> Peter. Washed up hobo Peter. Yeah. Hobo Peter. Wash up hobo Peter. Uh, but even there, right? Like, and it's almost a great A B because you get you know. Chris Pine, perfect Peter Parker that, like you said, we all want to aspire to be that guy. But for my part, when, I, when we got to, to Jake Johnson, Peter, I was like, okay, I get this. Yeah. Guy. <laughs> Handled like, it yeah. like this a guy. champ. Yep. Nailed it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> exactly, exactly. Everything he does, you're like, oh man, I've, I, I get it. You know, this is, that's how life is sometimes. Well, that's, that's a great, it's uh, yeah, also incredibly great, relatable. That whole relatable bit is a great thing that they do with the casting side of it, because like, and this is actually really interesting because there are a couple moments where they've really zagged from this. But largely speaking, every single like actor or actress that they got to play these roles are just these archetypes in like everything they do or in, in real life. Like if you've seen New Girl yeah. and Minx, you know Jake Johnson is this person. And it's wonderful sure. how he can like bring it to life. And like you said, make the character feel so relatable, but also in the back of your mind, make it feel like, Oh, I, I know this person. Oh, I've seen him before. Like I've seen, right. I've or seen I've him been that things. person. hundred percent. Same with Chris yeah. Pine, John Mulaney as Spider-Ham, Nicholas Cage. Like these are all perfect casting, but then they'll do something really strange, which is like cast Brian Tyree Henry as the voice actor for a cop, which is utterly yeah. a reversal of everything Brian Tyree Henry has like pretty much ever performed as in a movie. And I don't know the, how intentional that is, but it does make this cast just like pop. It makes it thrilling. It makes it exciting. But like you guys also said, very grounded and very much instantaneously something you connect to. Um, so yeah, yeah, I just wanted to step in there to say the I, cast I, is a perfect kind of branch of what you guys were talking about and really enhances that, that effect. I think pretty effective effectively that's a dumb thing to say whatever i podcast <laughs> i also think this movie does the superhero origin story correctly mm. like if we could just do that especially for like main roster characters like the supermans the batmans spider-man anyone that we kind of get it like they've been around for 75 years like can we just do the real quick this is what happened and everyone goes yep, yep. i understand let's do new stories yeah. now yeah absolutely well and i think there's they're they're tremendously intelligent and self-confident about understanding what do people already know right this is an audience that that is saturated by the character by comic books in general so i think there is a lot of understanding of let's not go through xyz thing again like they get it we're we're going we're gonna to move on to to new territory 
Uh, really quick, I just want to keep on the casting thing, Mike. There's only two people. Actually, you didn't call out the only two people I had actually written notes about. I love everyone in the movie, but I was amazed to discover that uh, Fisk is being played by Lee 100%. Schreiber. I yeah, love bud. Lee Schreiber, but Fisk does not. But it's it's crazy how different his voice sounds to the character. But he kills it. It's unbelievable. And they actually maybe maybe my favorite performance is Mahershala Ali as yeah as uh, a Uncle villain Aaron. as a villain yeah, as a villain exactly as crazy. A, and, but even but you kind of you kind of call this out where there's a little bit of a zag there in terms of like. But but the Zag sort of gives you some of the grayness of the character is what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah, he's yeah. not a full you, villain. Because you instinctually right, exactly. You instinctually are gravitated towards him. And and he is genuinely a complex character, right? Like you think about when when Miles first goes to him and, and finds solace in his company, they're they're showing you genuinely that his his uncle is giving him something that he's not getting from his parents and yeah. from his dad especially. Absolutely. And so it's just an incredible performance in the character, and oh my god, there's so much going on. Let me right tell in this you. Movie. Let me tell you. Uncle Chris has never taken Audi to go vandalize an underground <laughs> train station <laughs> below a bio lab because he's a bad uncle, John. He's not giving he's my bad... daughter we just what don't she have needs. Any subways for him to take your daughter down. Say, into. Yeah, that's of, that's yeah. the only that's the only reason Chris hasn't done that yet. You're right. You're right. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. I think I'll, we'll that's give it. him the excuse. There's no subways. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Uh, really quick, going back to one other thing, because Mike was talking about the way that the movie, you know, thinking about the first 30 minutes of the movie and how expertly put together that is. Uh, you know, Mike and I say this word almost every podcast, so I had to get to it eventually. The pacing of the movie is yes. really, really good, though. Yeah, and it's elite. I, one thing I, yeah, one thing I noted that, that I hadn't thought about until my most recent rewatch, the movie is actually interestingly very episodic. Yep. I think it, it does a lot to disguise the episodic nature of itself where, you know, it, it just flows very naturally. But when you really zoom out, it falls into very clear chunks. And what I like about it is that each kind of each chapter, so to speak, has like the perfect blend of building the story, building the characters, having fun moments, having intense moments, having character moments having visual moments, having quiet moments. It, it it keeps on switching up what it's delivering to you. So you're never like, imagine you could be sitting, if you arrange this movie incorrectly, you could be in the middle, somewhere in the middle third, maybe sitting through like 30 minutes of very dour, intense storytelling, right? Like you could have structured the movie that way. All of those moments are there. But like I said, they, they divide it up. They keep they kind of keep switching tones, but in a very deft way it's like, that keeps you, in, for my part, keeps me very engaged. Yeah. It's like yeah. issues of a comic book. I, I have a feeling it yeah. was intentional to completely it, pace it they, out. They even, they even actually do the thing. And, and this is, I don't even know why it took me like two or three times to pick up on this, but they actually do even have like comic book covers introducing each section of the story yeah. which is just every origin so has its own cover yeah yeah it's so cool and clever and and again it's just all stuff that keeps you really really engaged with the movie uh to be honest with you guys everything else i have are are small things that i do want to shout out but uh if there's any other big things, I want to throw it to you guys. If you had a big for, for why this movie works. Yeah, I've got two things. I think the first one, which I'm Go sure we'll it, spend Mike. some time on. And I honestly can't quite believe we've gotten this far into the podcast without just like gushing about this. 
But the action set pieces of this movie are, are just like bangers. Every single one is a banger. Uh, the first battle with the Green Goblin is absolutely wild, and it kind of feels like it sets off a momentum, frenetic energy bomb that really is what is the like tidal wave that carries the energy through the rest of the film. But like every action set piece of this movie is great. The fight in the lab, Doc Ock chasing them through the woods yeah. is so sick. Obviously, you already mentioned Can't Stop Me Now and the needle drop, plus, you know, that entire sequence is is stunning absolutely stunning it's not an action set piece but it's a stunning piece of action filmmaking in some ways and then of course the entire final battle in the showdown with kingpin is a delight so i don't know nick do you got any of your favorites anything that really sticks with you i my exact note was the final battle sequence is the most beautiful wild comic book version of a huge superhero set piece battle I've ever seen. Yes. And we've seen yeah. lots of instances of like the live action version of that, which are cool, but like they don't feel as comic booky as this movie did, where they nailed all the tone and they're fighting in familiar Brooklyn set pieces that we've seen in movies, but also in a crazy, ever changing, <laughs> universal Hadron Collider battle <laughs> set piece. It's insane. Yeah. As what is want to do. As 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 you do, as you do. The action's incredible. And and the there there you know, there's it's it's of a piece with the entire movie, but the the animation of the movement, the the ballet esque nature of all of the action too, like it's so intricately choreographed while still feeling relatively I don't want to say natural, obviously, because it's unnatural, but you know, believable or, or you still buy into the conceit of of the context you're still there for all of it uh i love too in the when they're fighting in aunt may's house and when when uh she picks up what does she pick up she in, gets a baseball bat and whams tombstone yeah. out the door that's right it's incredible it's an incredible moment and even that fight like even even down to the detail of how all the characters fight so differently and so creatively i love in the final fight first of all seeing penny uh, fighting with the giant robot, like sort of the mech thing going on. But then when we get Spider-Ham finally gets his moment with Scorpion, he doesn't fight like, you know, Spider-Gwen does. He actually has his own little... The giant mallet, baby! The, the cartoon yeah, anvil like, in the, the mallet. anvil and the mallet, yeah. And all of these things are so uh, honest to each different character. I think it's, it's, it's an extra level of work that really pays off, right? Yeah. Um... It's incredible. Absolutely. Mike, you said you had one other thing. Yeah, the uh this movie's hilarious. It's 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 yeah. it's so yeah. deeply funny. Um it's got this great blend of slapstick, kind of wry humor, awkward comedy that honestly at times reminded me, and this might be a weird take, but it reminded me of Wes Anderson for some reason. There're huh. just some moments yeah. where I really got that satirical, especially that like deadpan comedy come through but also it's obviously very much deeply intersected with all these other tones of, of jokes throughout the film um in particular in particular just about everything nicholas cage says and does in this movie is hilarious <laughs> um him trying to guess what in colors to the fact that nicholas cage is in the movie as which is already Spider hilarious yeah. yeah but him trying to guess what colors are on a rubik's cube is just a throwaway bit in this movie and that might be the funniest bit in any other comic book movie ever made like that yeah. scene is is so funny and it's like in the background um yeah even his whole like serious bits where he's like i let matches burn down to my fingers just so i can feel something Yes, it also is a throwaway thing, but it 
it makes the character funnier. In particular, yeah. John, I want you to cut into the podcast. I got two quotes from you. So the first one. Is, is he in black and white? Where's that wind coming from? We're in a basement. Wherever I go, the wind follows. And the wind it smells like rain. And two. Can you close off your feelings so you don't get crippled by the moral ambiguity of your violent act? Those are two of the funniest lines in almost any movie I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, that is yeah. gold. And it's so self-aware and it's so deeply ironic. And yet it's also true to the Spider-Man like archetype. I don't know. It's yeah. great. So I just want to shout out the comment in this film. I got a couple other lines, but I would love to hear what you guys have to say first. I definitely like when i mean continuing on that point like i like when uh spider ham is about to jump back to his universe and he hands him the mount and he goes it'll fit in your pocket <laughs> <laughs> it's great it's an incredible moment <laughs> oh I, I would just shout out essentially everything that the jake johnson washed up spider-man <laughs> says you know like you said like there's this deadpan quality to a lot of the humor of the movie i even like the little touches like this this one became a meme there's actually quite a lot of shots in the movie that became memes uh there's three actually is is one of them but the one i'm thinking of is when he's outside of of uh the alchemex laboratory peter parker is sitting there trying to think what would i do to break in and miles behind him in an effort to emulate spider-man puts his hand up to his chin in the same way yeah. while looking at him. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of little visual jokes like that. Just like little small moments that are so funny to watch. Actually, Miles in general is He's really great. Funny. Everyone in this movie is yeah. funny. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. I will ask, were you guys, do you guys ever struggle? This could just be me. I'm a social anxiety person, okay? The scene when Miles is having puberty. We actually oh mentioned the God. entire, when oh, Miles yeah, that gets. whole story arc. Yeah. The moment where Miles gets his powers, wakes up with his powers, is that whole, it's so frenetic and, and fast-paced and hysterical. Um, I, I like, too, what it... What? I know you snuck out last night, Morales. Play dumb. Who's Morales? Not that dumb. <laughs> but, no, I actually, I have to say, though, I genuinely struggle to watch when he gets his hair, or his hands uh -huh. stuck in her yep. hair. Why it's are you so... so sweaty? It's a puberty thing. I don't know why I just said that. It's not a puberty <laughs> thing. I went through puberty, but it's done. I'm a man. I mean, that's the most awkward scene in any movie ever made. Or and... the whole bit where he's like, everyone knows yeah. they're all staring at me. <laughs> so and relatable. for what's worth, true to the character. Because yeah. a lot of Spider-Man stories should be about like that teenage sort of uncomfortableness, awkwardness, like yeah. strangeness. And, and it's so on point for that in addition to being hysterical. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You're right, Mike. It's an incredibly funny movie. I also, real quick, um, want to throw out one more. Yeah. One more. Total throwaway line, but in Mary Jane's We Are All Spider-Man speech, when Miles says, they're all counting on me, and the random guy just goes, probably not you specifically. It's probably a metaphor. I just, complete throwaway. Oh, I love that. It's great. Oh, and the shoulder that touch to the feet kingpin. Hey. Hey. Incredible. <laughs> Actually, Mike, I'll, I'll give you credit too. Like, I, I was struggling to see the Wes Anderson thing, but like that moment in the crowd where the yep. other person leans deeply, over, that's a very Wes Anderson Wes moment. Anderson. Yeah. 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 Like those kind of semi sarcastic asides. I love the Stan Lee cameo too, and the 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 smile, what he says. It always no refunds. Pans over to no, no refunds. Yeah. Ah, great moment. Great moment. 
Um, but on the same eight? side of the coin, this movie will make you cry. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, it's yes. very funny, but you'll cry. Yeah. It, 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 and like you know, we were saying that earlier, but it's worth diving into real quick. That yeah, those emotional moments hit really, really hard. I actually find um, the one that that got me most recently is when Peter, sorry, is when Miles is having to convince Peter to go back to his universe. When they're in the collider for a second, when Kingpin shows up, you know, slobby Peter Parker is like, I'm going to be able, I'm going to help you. I'm going to get this. And then Miles tells him, you got to go back, man. And Peter says, what, how do I know? I won't mess it up again. And it's, and he says, you don't, it's a leap of faith. And of course it's got the whole thematic resonance of him having to give his own words back to him, yada, yada. But I feel like, by that point, we've also been on the journey with that Peter Parker, and we've seen the ways that he's both good at what he does, but also has like all of these regrets and all of these things that he's, you know, he needs the second chance. So I don't know. That just hit me really hard. I teared up at that. There's yeah. a lot of scenes like that in this movie. Actually, you're totally right. Nick. No, I mean they they, they yeah. pace it really well. They do. Where yeah. they they give you some humor and bonding, and that really builds the characters coming together. And then like I mean, in the first thirty minutes, they kill Spider Man, and yeah. and he gets yeah. killed being the selfless superhero that he's like, I gotta save everybody. Hey kid, we gotta team up. I'll get back up. Don't worry about it. And then gets punched to death. Yeah, and yeah. you're like vicious, that. brutally too. Yeah, it's not like a heroic death. It's I'm lying on the ground and I get my head smashed. I mean, it's yeah. brutal. It's a brutal. Yeah. Or Uncle Aaron getting shot after oh, not killing my like. There's so many moments that well, you what, go, oh no. What is this line too? Where where he's because like I I always think of the abject horror on his uncle's face when he realizes that he's been found out as a villain and you kind of see like in the animation of this, this dude's facial reaction that he just really needed to have this like disguise of being at least the good guy in one person's life, like the hero in his, his nephew's life. And like for that to even ripped away from him at the literally the last moment of his life before he dies is just gutting. It's a gutting thing that they really capture well. And then obviously, you know, because every episode I have to have a uh, I'm as a dad now moment. But when he's when when the dad's talking through the door and he's tied up and can't respond, that's oh, that's a that, gutting oh, yeah, scene. That, that that's was tear jerking. Yeah. Oh, that's my almost, God. You know, the first time I saw this movie, I legitimately was like, this is almost too far because it's 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 just because I'm mean, and that's not real criticism. But just because of the added detail that Miles is tied up, so he literally can't respond. And actually, and, you know, despite all of the character kind of struggling with his father's situation, at that moment, he still desperately wants to be able to talk to his father and he physically can't. Yeah. It's actually, it's so tough. It's like, oh, man, this is brutal. Yeah. Heartbreaking. It's it's incredible. It's just an incredible pull. Um, Oh, and then also when the, when the when Penny's robot dies. Not as hard as these other moments, but still surprisingly somber. I think in the middle of the fight that they kind of took this moment to be like, oh, you know what? Some of these characters are losing things. And you're like, oh, this is kind of a, this is a little bit sadder than I thought it would be. Uh, yeah. Great stuff. Um, 
Oh, we didn't even mention Kingpin's family stuff, but you know. Yeah, whatever. well, I can't. <laughs> I can't quite get past the fact that every time I see the portrait of Kingpin with his tiny little family, I laugh out loud and feel bad about it. Um, because wow. those family wow. portraits. They did draw Kingpin huge. Those family portraits are really funny. <laughs> the are. Kingpin. This is now just like just shooting stuff against a wall, but just to throw it out because you just said it, Nick. The portrayal of Kingpin in this movie is one of my favorite villains yeah, it's in, great. Anime, in it's animation. Great. The the way yeah. that the entire he takes up the entire frame the first time you're introduced to him is so awesome. I just can't it's so good. Um yeah, and they made him a relatable villain. Yeah. They made it yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so incredible. Okay. Anything else big on why this movie works? And then maybe if we have a couple small things we can um, talk about. But yeah, one last big one I forgot, and it's this is I, I'm gonna throw this out here, but we are not equipped to talk about this. So just cool. want to shout out making the choice to make this a largely black movie, uh, a film from a perspective of, of people of color with a family and family dynamics that are I, I would assume relate to that background is daring. And uh, I thought very, very provocative. So that being yeah. said, I can't really speak to the nuance of how their family dynamics, you know, add layers to this film for people of a different culture and experience than myself. But it is uh, something I want to shout out on this movie. And I do think it really works in terms of, especially in terms of what Nick already mentioned, which is, you know, we kind of can yada yada through the Spider-Man normal backstory, but this gives it a fresh take and makes it compelling in a way that, just watching another Spider-Man origin story wouldn't be so shouts. Yeah. Shouts to that. Also really, really quick on that too. Just really cool. I, Cause I, I believe this is also the first ever portrayal of a mixed race superhero in a, in a, in a big kind of budget movie. Cause the miles is obviously partially Puerto Rican as well. Um, which is just, it's really cool. Also was apparently, um, Changed Shamik Moore's mind about playing the character. He was he was hesitant about it, mm. but on that note, he was like, you know what, this is actually really cool, um, and so in that and that's part of why he wanted to do it. So yeah, really really cool. Um, anything else? I have a couple. Uh, you know, I'm just gonna get these out here because they're just tiny. I just want to mention. I really I should have folded this into the visual language thing, but the opening titles are amazing. And yeah, yeah. I, I'm just a sucker for opening titles because it's, it's so cool how they set up the movie's tone. And especially with that rising note, they also make me really hype for the movie. I'm just always like, it's so easy to rewatch this movie because if you literally turn it on within like a minute, I'm just like, I'm hyped. I'm excited. I want to watch this. Um, The Doc Ock reveal. I just wanted to mention too, the Doc Ock reveal was really awesome. Yeah. Did so you guys... was. Did that catch everyone off guard? Am I am I crazy? It caught me off guard. Nick, were you too? Are you too ingratiated? Were you too foreseeing in your comic book ability to be surprised by that? I think what's interesting about the movie is that even things that I did know, the movie just sucks you in so much that you still feel the whole range of emotion. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh, okay. Also, when she does the whole, basically, I can't wait to watch you die horribly. That is a <laughs> chilling. That is a chilling line delivery. Um, That's a yeah. villain moment. Yeah, she is. You're like, oh, oh. you're you're evil. <laughs> Mike, you just reminded me too. We forgot my actual my favorite joke in the movie is when Peter Park Peter Parker catches up with Miles as they're escaping the the facility, and he says, 
Okay, well, first, good news. We don't need the monitor. I just love the idea yeah. that Miles was trying to take the monitor with the computer. I love that for Miles. Do you think, do you think the or that getting a bagel was a part of the plan? <laughs> yeah. And then he does it. Yeah. And then when... And then when one of the scientists actually shouts after him, they took a bagel. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> they took a bagel. Uh, anything else? Any like so now? Just floor is open. Anything else for why this movie works? Small, large, inconsequential. <laughs> it it does a really good job of. I feel like there's at least nods to almost every era of Spider comic and cartoon and movie. Mm. that like if you don't know them they don't take anything away from the movie yeah but if you do know them there's subtle little easter eggs planted around that you go oh that's great i love that yeah yeah i love this is one of the only ones i know but we see very briefly in gwen's backstory the actual and they, they reference peter dying in her story a lot but we actually see peter as uh it's not Green Goblin. Who is Peter? The the lizard. He's lizard. Yeah, right. He's the, lizard. the lizard. We actually see that kind of in like the shadows, like in a very quick visual language, one that I think a normal viewer wouldn't pick up on. But if you just know, oh, in that storyline, Peter uh, was the lizard. They actually do show that, and that's really cool. Like you said, it's a little reference that if you know, you'll be like, oh my god, that's so awesome. Yeah, I love that. Anything else, Mike? Uh, no. I'm good. No? I got one more thing. Yep. Hit me. Was that the best post-credit scene of post-credit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> superhero yes. movies? Yes. Oh, my God. Not even close. The idea that they got Oscar Isaac, one of my all-time favorite actors. Oh, uh, no. And they, <laughs> this is like my spray thought. <laughs> oh, no. I'm so sorry. I was like, Oscar was Isaac so is in this scene for the post-credits. What? For a throwaway, I mean, obviously he's bad for the sequel, but for a throwaway meme reference, the Spider-Man oh, pointing, so funny. it's one of my favorite things in any movie. And he is, they he's, did, he's they, they did a good job of setting up the future, but then also going, here's one joke for the road. He's, yeah, uh, he's exactly. credited in the credits as interesting person number one, Oscar Isaac, <laughs> acting legend. <laughs> so good. I did not know that. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, okay, we've talked uh, for over an hour about why this movie works. Uh, this section is what get holds this real movie back. short. <laughs> what, what could have maybe been done better? What where this movie falls short? Obviously, there's not a lot, but I surprisingly I do actually have a few things I, I wanted to mention. One of them is like a question. One of them I'm not so confident, but only one. So one of these I'm really confident in. Okay, and I'm actually curious, Nick. You might have some information because. I did not know that Prowler was not unique to this movie. So this negative point may be impacted by the comics, okay? I think the it, it barely counts as a subplot, but the quote-unquote subplot of Miles' da Miles' dad, Jefferson, thinking that Spider-Man killed Aaron was so unnecessary that yeah. it always surprises me when he mentions it at the end of the uh, at the end of the movie when he's on the phone call with Miles. Like yeah. whenever when that comes back in the movie, I'm like, oh wait, I yeah, that happened. Why is that in this movie? I so Nick, is that because was that in the comics? Was that like a, a plot point there? I'm gonna be honest, I I don't know or remember the answer to that one. Okay, no worries. No worries. That's because that's kind of the one saving grace I was thinking is like maybe it's cause it was part of the story in the comics and they felt like they couldn't ditch it. 
but yeah. really i think they should have it just but doesn't I, add anything I, either way he moves off of that so quickly that it feels jarring that was a yeah. point i made which is just that even even if that is a hint to the comics he his dad gets over that idea pretty dang quick um, yeah. <laughs> just kind of like it's, well, like okay. i said it surprises me when they mention it again i'm like oh yeah that yeah. didn't really go anywhere did it, it just sort of doesn't go anywhere i don't know yeah. why it's there yeah um and then actually this is my only other one and this is a question i'm not gonna say that this is bad but i'm curious uh when miles has this this big character moment right we get the voiceovers of the different characters over the course of the movie saying you know his dad saying you have this spark in you miles like all these different moments i'm just i'm just floating it i'm just i'm just asking questions here was that good did we need that did that add to the movie because i'm very I'm, I'm very hesitant about things like that when they're when directors feel like oh they're not going to remember all the character yeah, growth no. so we got to put in all of the voiceover of the people telling him like what he's capable of uh, I, I just don't know i'm not saying it's bad per se but was it necessary uh, i don't know i don't know i don't think it detracts though yeah sure. you, i think i think broadly speaking i'm with nick it and okay how do i put this i never like it i don't think it's good sure i mean we we always joke about that with like blade runner 2049 where there's just like these flashbacks that are like he's the chosen one and you're like thank you thank you I, I know. I remember. I watched the movie. That's maybe the worst implementation um, in an otherwise great movie. Yeah. And so this wasn't that. But I still I don't I still don't like it as a strategy. I still think it it feels like it's talking down to me. I think that's different in a film that's meant for people as young as like thirteen and twelve. Um Sure. So I think that's the genre, this genre of film, I, I give it more leeway. Also the way they cut it with the soundtrack in that scene makes it a lot cooler than it is in most other movies. So it's I, it's really aided by how awesome that song is. Yeah, so that's a good point yeah. too. Yeah. I'm with Nick. 100%. It, it doesn't detract, but I don't like it. Yep. I actually do have one other thing, but it, this is this is straight up petty. This is this is very tiny. Uh th- this is like freaking what's that YouTube? This is like Cinema Sins level of like god man, just shut up. This is awful. But I did just want to mention as like not quite a plot hole, but a plot inconsistency. So at one point we see that Miles's dad and mom are freaking out because they can't find him. Right. This is when his dad finally calls his uncle Aaron and he's like, you know, you know, I wouldn't be reaching out if it wasn't important. Right. They can't find Miles and they're really freaked out. The next time we see his dad looking for Miles is when he goes to the school and the urgency of Miles being having disappeared is totally gone. And when you notice that, it actually makes no sense whatsoever. Like he, like he still hasn't been able, he still hasn't been in touch with Miles by that point, but he's all, all of a sudden like, oh, it's okay. Like, like, you know, whatever. I just need to tell you. You could, I'm not saying it's technically a plot hole. It's just weird. It's just like, once you notice that line of thought, that line of events, it kind of doesn't really make sense. But like I said, that's petty, and I'm stupid for bringing it up. So, uh, no worries. You're done. Anything else? Why? Yeah, I know. Why this movie doesn't work? What maybe holds this movie back? Nick, you got to have some like I have some like nitpicky thoughts that I mean. Let me preface with this is literally my favorite movie ever, and I yeah. think it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but when you're thinking about stuff, okay. So 
I think the way Prowler dies is dumb. <laughs> not the moment. Yeah, it is. <laughs> not you the know, moment. Is. Yeah. But uh, he okay. has basically an Iron Man suit. He's super yeah. tech. And this is someone who hand-to-hand fights superheroes, super villains, super people. And he gets killed with a gun. Yeah. Like, that there's not Kevlar in his suit. Also, yeah. also that... I get he's a villain, but our boy makes the decision to kill him pretty quickly before he's proven that he's going to betray him. Um, it's just it's just a cavalier decision. That's all I'm saying. It's just like, like hey. it's still the moment made me cry because yeah, it's, it's super sad because yeah. it's Uncle Aaron. But like you think that, OK, I'm in a super suit and I fight, you know, the scorpion. So I should put Kevlar in here. Right. Or like cops will chase me and they have guns. Maybe I should be bulletproof yeah i feel like I, if that moment was like kingpin like giving a wave to scorpion and like scorpion impaling him or something yeah that that would Which, that would make more sense as a death it's, for it's one of the only moments where this movie's fidelity to the comics i think leads it astray because you're right there are better more reasonable ways for him to die and i feel like they only keep it because of course uncle ben gets shot like Uncle Ben has to get shot. I would shot. also say though that they need the the surprise of him getting shot too. Yeah, because it is kind of like a weird. Pull and you're like, oh my god, uh, what just happened? I don't know. I don't disagree though. I don't. I don't, I don't I'm with don't Nick. You can get that surprise with like Scorpion sneaking up behind him and sticking him through the chest. I mean, it just. And yeah. then, on that same note, so I think all the characters are perfect and wonderful, and I wouldn't recast any of them. But I feel like. About five of them don't need to be in the movie, and the movie would still be good without <laughs> sure. them. Yeah, sure. So, like, Tombstone and Scorpion, their only jobs are, like, look cool and then be in two fights. Yeah. And then even when you add the other spider people, when you add Noir and Penny and Spider-Ham, I almost think that you could still make the same movie with just the main three. Yeah. And that... They didn't need to be in there, but it's awesome that they are. Like, I was going to say, but it's so much more fun. I feel like that's a little bit, I, I don't necessarily disagree, but it's a little bit like the one I was saying where it's like, but it's not technically taking anything away, <laughs> right? So it's like, oh, you know, I'm still right. happy I was just it, trying but... to participate in the section of things right, that are wrong. I right. think nothing and, and... is wrong with the movie. It's the best movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, but I totally see where you're coming from it and I think I actually think it's also it's weirdly like a strength of the movie that it could it really could survive on just the the main trio like you would still be super totally invested. Uh, that's a great point though. Totally, totally. Anything else, Mike? Mike, did you not have anything for why this movie doesn't? Um, work? I I had the same thing with you know our boy getting oh, shot. Yeah, the... I thought that was pretty bad. Um, I you know it's cliche, but <laughs> fine. I'm gonna say it. Two hour runtime, probably could have been shorter. Wow, um, wow! Feel compelled to say that. I, I even here, Mike. It, well, here's where I'm gonna say that I'm wrong. Is that when mm. I first saw this movie, I did not have that thought. Um, that is definitely a repeat viewing feeling. In terms of once I have seen it now, you know, six, seven times. This most recent run watch, I was just like, eh, some of these slow parts feel a little bit slower. Kind of even to what Nick was saying. Some of this extra stuffing feels like it's extra stuffing. Um, I'm feeling the life of it. But I don't think this is actually a problem because when I first saw this movie, I didn't care at all and I never wanted it to end. So it's kind of... I was... Yeah. I, I was... Re- 
when when I was preparing to do my homework to come on the pod, I was worried about the run. I haven't seen it in a while. This is like my 15th time watching the movie, but I haven't seen it in a while. And I watched it this morning, and at the end I went, nah, that was still awesome. Yeah, So like, I. I'm I'm with you generally. I'm the king of like, man, get a tight ninety story and let's go. Yeah. It's but funny I, because I, I, I will say it. the movie is shorter than I imagine it is because it's it's so stuffed full of things yeah. that I if I'm just sitting around, I think of it as like a two and a half hour movie when it it still pulls in slightly under two hours. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, I, I I see your point though. All the same. I think and the pacing it, helps with that too. It does. And I think that's what's, it's kind of like you were just saying with the characters. What's cool about it is like, it highlights how good this movie is. Cause it doesn't feel too long, but there's still a great 90 minute movie that you could have pulled out of this. Um, sure. And I'd be interested yeah. to see if I liked it better. I don't know. All I'll say I'm kind of with Nick where my, every single negative thing I have to say about it is like hedged by like, yeah, this movie rules. <laughs> this might be yeah, one of the most, I agree. It's kind of like with parasite. This might be one of the best movies we've ever done. In terms yeah. of like flawlessness, so I, I forgot to mention too. Uh, I should have said at the beginning. This was actually the first animated feature that won the Best Animated Feature Film Academy Award, going up against a Disney Pixar film since uh, Rango in 2011, and it beat Incredibles two, um, which you know I'm actually pretty tepid on the entire Incredibles series. Uh, also, is it, is it the Dogs. fascism? Actually, I Love Dogs was a really good movie, and Ralph breaks the internet. Which I didn't yeah. see. Yeah. Um, well, uh, and we were we were talking off mic that well, Nick, do you wanna you wanna shout out? Do you think it should have won Best Picture, Nick? Yeah, I, I think that that was the year that Green Book won. It should have at least been in the hunt. The yeah. fact that it wasn't nominated at all, you're I'm like, actually, this is just a stellar movie, not just a stellar animated how, movie. How how racist is it that Green Book beat this movie? <laughs> Yeah, it, it makes Mike, the Academy worse. Awards look bad. Mike, it's worse than you think. Do you remember what Green Book beat? First of oh, all, I just yeah. want to note, it's incredible. I actually think it is kind of surprising that the Spider-Verse wasn't even nominated for Best Picture. I feel like that's kind of weird in hindsight. Because this movie had a pretty big cultural impact, I want to say. It um, did. Yeah, they just weren't ready for this yet. And that's like... I think this so. Is, this is one of those films that just was like a year too late. But yes, it beat Black Panther, Black Klansman. Those are the two I remember. Roma was yeah, that beat year? Black I Panther think, and Black. Klansman. Wasn't that the Lady Gaga singing movie as well? Was that year? Yeah, Star, Star is Born. Is Born. Yeah. yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah. Also, these ones I'm a little surprised they're in here. Vice, um, Bohemian Rhapsody, which is a travesty because that's a horrible movie. Yes, it is. Um, mediocre. It's uh, the favorite, which I really like, and Roma. Gosh, and I really. If Beale Street could talk, didn't even get nominated that year. Good yeah. lord, it's crazy what was left on the floor. Was this was this Oscar so white? Was this the year for that? Because this is bad. This is this is white Oscars know. to the max. This is bad. Yeah. Anyway, it's tough. Anyways, uh, cool. That's why this movie. Why this movie didn't work just turned into more things we like about this movie. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, so it, it super works. Why I the know. Oscars did it work? Is the new section. <laughs> so. Man, we could really make that a, a, a section on this podcast. Yeah, honestly. why not? Well, moving on, the next part of the podcast is just called Stray Thoughts. It's exactly what it sounds like. Each of us has 
five thoughts on the movie trivia we've researched or things that came up while watching it uh we'll just go we'll just kind of go around the circle guys well, each of us will go um <laughs> we already kind of referenced this but i'm gonna start with this so actually in fact mike you scooped me earlier mike yeah. and nick both scooped me ah. but i was astonished astonished to learn that spider ham was originally introduced in Marvel Tales, starring Peter Porker, the spectacular Spider-Ham from 1983, his origin of being a spider bitten by a radioactive pig is true to the comics. The movie leaves out that the radioactive pig in question was May Porker, who, due to the effects of the radiation, believed that the transformed Peter was her nephew and said of her former lab pet. That is apparently the origin. I didn't. I wish I had gone and read the comic. I want. I, I, I'm going to now. But I could not believe that Spider-Ham was real. Uh, he was. <laughs> That's his story. I love that. Uh, Mike, great. why don't you go? Uh, relatedly, question for the both of you. Better Spider-Pig, this movie or the Simpsons movie? The Simpsons <laughs> movie has a better song. <laughs> yeah, the uh, equally stuck in your head. Yeah. But it, yeah. it's this movie. Yeah. It's this movie. <laughs> I'm glad that Nick was willing to answer the question, John. You coward. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the hard stance on that one. I didn't want to make any enemies. You how know? Can, how can you be so brave, Nick? <laughs> uh, Nick okay. Um, so if we think about like the greater scope of like hero things, Mahershala Ali was Prowler, was Cottonmouth, Oh. And he's gonna be Blade. Whoa! I forgot that about rules. that. I know he's gonna be Blade. Yeah, it's oh gonna be great. Oh my god, that's awesome! It's gonna be great. That's insane. He's he's Is slowly that taking the, the cap for like best superhero actor. Like he's gotta be up there. He's now. gotta be. Yeah, I, I mean, just for I, I would diversity. say undoubtedly he is the most talented actor to be in a superhero movie. Yeah, he's yeah. so good, and he's been in three. He's been three different characters. Well, he hasn't wow. been Blade yet, but he's gonna be, and it's gonna rule. Yeah, yeah, he's gonna is. kill it. It is. <laughs> it's gonna rule. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, this was just kind of a cool like thing. I didn't. I, I didn't even really notice this until maybe the most recent time I watched the movie. So when Miles and Aaron, when Aaron is taking Miles to that spot in the subway system that he found for putting up the graffiti, uh, they have this little exchange. Miles says. Hey, how'd you how'd you even find this place? And Aaron says, I did an engineering job down here. And it only was now that I realized I'm, I'm pretty sure he's talking about Fisk's collider because yeah. we know that that's really close by because yeah. Miles gets there very fast when he goes back to find the spider later. So I just thought that was an incredible like call forward in the movie that you don't even pick up on until, you know, the second time watching it, at least. Um, also kind of tragic because it means that all of the events of the movie start with Uncle Aaron being the prowler because that's why they're in that spot where the spider can find Miles. Uh, so, yeah, just really clever kind of kind of forward storytelling. I like that. I, I caught that uh, right now. First time I caught it. Good one. Yeah. That's good. Never yeah, thought good, of that before. Good throw out. Um, this is for Nick. I actually have a lot of questions of my straight thought. This is strange. But yeah, Nick, uh, don't want to put you on the spot, but I have to. Electra or this movie, what's your take? What's the better superhero movie? Let it go, man. <laughs> Just I let need, it go. I need a tiny bit. I, I don't need all the context. I'm going to say I don't want all of the context. But someone give me the one sentence on Electra. What's going on here? 
<laughs> okay, Mike, Mike is forever mad that when we were, I don't know, in, in middle school, is that when uh-huh. Electric came out? Probably that cares. I really wanted to go see it and drug him with me. <laughs> and he's like, he's never let it go. He's like, that movie's terrible. And I'm like, yeah, but is it terrible when you're 13? Yes. With Jennifer Gardner yes. as a ninja? Yes. It's awesome when you're 13. No, it was so Man, bad. I, I didn't know any of this happened. I will say this does sound like the kind of thing Mike would not let go. Oh, I yeah, could, no. You know, being forced to sit through... The what's best worse is, this what's worse is one of our other friends out. picked it up and he wasn't even there. Yeah, he doesn't even, he never, he's never seen Electra. <laughs> Nick, I hate to tell you this, but I feel like I'm going to start just yeah. taking on this same role. I, I just really, like the idea of hating on uh, it really is. 2005. It's like hey, the ultimate. When, when we do the tomb ca- tombstone pod, you bring me back. <laughs> we can make fun of Electra. <laughs> I want to talk about Doc Holliday. When we, when we do the Electropod, we'll bring him back. Yeah, I'll do it. Don't tempt me with a good time. <laughs> it's good to know we have the future of the podcast laid out real nice. Uh, Nick, why don't you go ahead? <laughs> um, something I noticed while watching the, the Blu-ray when I was fast-forwarding to hit the end credit scene after the cool song part. Um, on the Blu-ray... The little pause fast forward bar is also comic book graphic. What? That's a cool little touch That's that cool. I don't know that I've ever seen That's on so another I feel like Blu-ray. I should. I feel like I should get more Blu-rays. That's pretty neat. I was gonna say what a what a great recommendation for the uh, or shout out for the dying Blu-ray industry and in the age right. of streaming. Yeah, go get a Blu-ray. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. do it. I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna do just that. That is really cool though. I didn't know that. I didn't even know they could do that honestly. Um, <laughs> this has to happen. So, like, you know, oh, I'm yes. do it now. let's do it. Uh, I couldn't I'm decide which character who you to picked. Do. Yeah. So I decided that if, if we're just thinking about, you know. So, so, Nick, we have this character, Llewellyn Davis. Have you seen Inside Llewellyn Davis? Negative. Nick would love have that not. movie. It would be his favorite. All movie. you need to know <laughs> is that Llewellyn is is just just the worst. He's, he's, a, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he, he just, you just got to hate him. And so I, I, I guess I was just curious, would you rather hang out with Kingpin, Mike, oh. uh, or Nick, mm. you can answer too, or Llewellyn Davis? Because I thought that was a diff- that was maybe a tougher choice than other characters. I feel like almost every, all the Spider-Men, for example, all the Spider-People, it's not even a contest. Well, like, uh, yeah, go ahead. There, there is a universe where Jake Johnson Spider-Man is Llewellyn Davis, and even he's still likable. So there's like, he's gonna lose that. That's one. a fair point. And that's the closest one. Yeah. At the end of the day, I have I have a ounce of sympathy for Kingpin. I like you're like oh yeah, he lost his family. That sucks. That's tough. I would that's want tough. to get them back too. As as a recent father, <laughs> Jesus. I like, his glasses up nose. <laughs> oh, how'd you know, Nick? How did you know I did that? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like, you know, and guess what? I, I always come back to this, Nick. It's critical you understand. At least Kingpin has never forced me to get an abortion and then slept with my, basically cheated on uh, my, my spouse. So like, you Actually, know. Actually, if, if nothing else, we know Kingpin's a family man. Exactly. That's the right. one thing exactly. we know about him. So, so I think it's what? Kingpin. It's yep. Kingpin. It's no contest. Once again, Nick, you summed it up well. Shout out to Tyler. Yeah, uh, as always, Lawn this Davis se- takes another dive. This section of the pod is brought to you by Sorry Tyler. <laughs> yeah, we got uh, you. Buddy. I got like, another got another question, and this is for both of you. 
what is a biscuit boxer? And why does Kingpin have them? <laughs> or what's the other one? A turtle snapper? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just asking questions, guys. I'm just asking questions. He does say that he likes fighting Nazis, so I'm just going to assume it's a Nazi. <laughs> then why does Kingpin have them? <laughs> it, you know... You know... <laughs> Uh, Nick, what do you got? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, now that you brought up the second question, I'm going to go with pass. <laughs> uh. Are you actually passing? Do I have to go now? Oh, oh I'm, I'm just not answering the widest king question. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. You can go ahead yeah. with your straight thought. We'll just we'll just leave Mike hanging on this. We'll one. just He's we'll okay. just move on. It's a, it's yeah. a mystery. Like, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't know if you remember seeing this in the theater, but I think it was a cool seeing someone else feel the full range of feelings of the movie. Do you remember when they reveal Uncle Aaron in the apartment yeah. that there was a lady in the middle of the Dead Quiet Theater going, oh, no. Yes. <laughs> and yes. you just <laughs> heard the realization happen. Oh, that was yeah. just a neat moment. It's it's up there with uh, when I saw The Departed. And if you have guys, spoiler for The Departed, fast forward 30 seconds. But when DiCaprio gets shot in the face and someone just yelled, that man's brains are all over that wall. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's how I felt too, lady. So yeah, my, it was great. It was great. My I theater rem- I, reaction. I had not remembered that until you brought it up, Nick. That, that was a wonderful moment. Uh, just as long as we're sharing the stories, my, my theater reaction story is a bit of a different tone. Did you guys see Annihilation? Yeah, I did. No. Uh, there's a moment in that movie where Oscar Isaac takes his shirt off and a girl in the audience very loudly said, oh, my God. And, the, and to be clear, the tone of the scene was not like fun, sexy times. It was like very dark and depressing, like that whole movie. So that was just a very great uh, salve in that moment. I think that just proves the power of Oscar Isaac. Exactly. I think it does. I You know, it, it really says a lot for that. We were guy. all Good thinking it. So... Um, uh, among the song titles on Peter Parker's Christmas album, as it's co- as it's scrolling up on the screen in that intro in that kind of first five minutes, Spidey, it's cold outside, swinging around the mistletoe, Silent Night, you're welcome, Joy to the World that I just <laughs> saved, Spidey the Snowman, it's beginning to look a lot like a non-denominational holiday. <laughs> Uh, and then the last one it says is Ave Maria. It just says Ave Maria. <laughs> I want to hear Spider-Man sing that one for sure. That's my takeaway too, Dick, because I thought that's the one I kind of want to hear the most is just Spider-Man doing the Ave Maria totally straight. Love that. Mike, what you got? This is the last one, right? I got two more. Oh, I don't know how that happened. Yeah, well, whatever. Go ahead, Mike. Another question. Is this the greatest line in cinematic history? It goes over a cop radio, and someone says, it looks like a child dressed as a Spider-Man pulling the corpse of a homeless person behind a train. <laughs> Accurate and awesome. The juxtaposition of the cops seeing it happen in front of them in that moment. How did that one guy, you do bring up a question, Mike. How did the one other guy they catch not die? They're both Spider-Men, so cool. But yeah, don't they, like, know. grab some guy who's dragging with them for a little while? And, like, shouldn't Probably. he just be super no, dead? No, I don't think so. Cause I, or if they do, he gets cut really fast. That must be I it. I must have missed I, it. And he gets cut off really fast. Because yeah. he doesn't, like, whack the train or anything that 
would kill not spider Ooh, people. that'd be a dark right. movie <laughs> really strange turn actually just to commit homicide in the middle of the movie uh nick go ahead um like the one thing that i couldn't help but thinking about the movie is reflecting on terrible required high school reading and the book great expectations yes. oh my god because yes. like the i felt like the moral of the book great expectations is pip is a loser don't try to meet your expectations where miles is like the cool spider-man where like it's a whole great expectations theme and then at the end it's like well then you get to be spider-man like man high school really should push this movie and not that book i think i would have felt a lot better about it do you know normally i'm the english major nerd defending the books we were made to read in high school but even i have nothing for great expectations no. i always oh, hated that book it. Hate it yeah, so it's, much. it's, it's just a nightmare terrible. to read and like you're right the thematic resonance is actually pretty poor nowadays it's a little bit like dang man okay C- cool i guess thank you mr dickens yeah <laughs> i'd point. rather be spider-man i'd rather be spider-man frankly <laughs> well uh i don't know if our order got mixed up but this is my last one um christopher miller obviously one of the creators of the movie said that the spider-ham's line that's all folks which a character actually says, is he allowed to say that legally? Uh, actually took several months to clear legally with Warner Brothers. Yeah, uh, Miller awesome. said whether Spider-Ham was allowed to say that was a real question for several months, but thankfully we have a good relationship with our friends at Warner Brothers and they eventually cleared us. I just like the idea that some bureaucratic person at Sony and some bureaucratic person at like legal person at Warner Brothers had to have talks about whether or not that's all folks could appear in the movie. What a great moment for uh, capitalism and art, huh? Yeah, they did it. They at came, least we got it. Our country came together for one, one brief moment. To, to really, it was the last again. time our country came together. I yeah, think. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> That right. was it. Feels it was right. all downhill after all that. All downhill. Feels right. <laughs> um, this is my favorite just small detail in the movie, but did you guys catch that the Alchemix map one has Google reviews and two has a 3.2 stars out of five? <laughs> no, <laughs> I did not. I did not see that. I'll go look out for that. Both of those I points. Just great. Just great. I love the idea of like leaving a review for a top secret chemical laboratory. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, Nick, do you have any more? I'm out. I think we. Yeah, Mike. How did you end up with one know. more? Go, go ahead. I guess. I feel like you. No, just that was it. That was my last one. That was my last one. Oh, that was your last one. We're yeah, good yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. We're solid. Stick around after the break. We're gonna dive a little deeper into some of the thematic elements of the movie before wrapping up. Hang tight. Welcome back. For this part of the podcast, we try just to dive a little bit deeper into some of the, some of the themes of the movie, try to discuss maybe some of the spiritual resonance of what's there. Uh, this movie, frankly, there's almost too much to talk about. I think a lot of the spiritual resonance of the themes is, is pretty profound and easy to pick out. Uh, broadly speaking, though, I, was, I guess I was just curious your guys, if you guys had any thoughts on really just Miles' principal journey through the film. I would characterize that journey as being primarily about understanding where he's getting his expectations from. The movie actually calls this out pretty explicitly a lot. Obviously, great expectations is a theme that comes up. 
you know, Nick already referenced one of his favorite books. Um, the idea <laughs> of having no expectations on that amazing graffiti work that he lays out. I, I just read a lot of his struggle throughout the movie, especially in the first two thirds, obviously before his turn as being handed all of these sort of, sorry, as being handed this narrative of you should be X. His family is telling him you could live up to so much. He has that amazing speech from his father of, I see the spark in you. I see all these things that you could be. And I would argue that a lot of his journey, a lot of his transformation in the movie is about being able to actually let go of the expectations being placed upon him and embrace what he in what he actually wants to become embrace the things that he is excited about and that really drives um his motivations i guess uh that can be that's a little bit broad and maybe a little bit messy but i'm really excited by the way the movie portrays that journey because while while in some senses it's a cliche superhero journey i don't know if it's been portrayed quite like this and i don't know if i ever resonated with it the way i did in this movie um, I have more thoughts on it, but, but, you know, just starting from a very broad perspective, do you guys have any, did you guys perceive that same journey in this movie? Uh, do you have any thoughts on it? I think what's interesting is, is I'm not sure that the, the expect, cause he gets his expectations ramped up pretty darn quick. Like at first he's going to the new school and his dad just wants to push him to like be a better student and you have a great opportunity. And then, you know, then he's trying to talk to girls and figure that out. And then he gets bit by a spider and becomes a Spider-Man. And then like, then he gets a bunch of points along the way, like where all the spider people bully him into being like, you're not ready into, he gets a lot of choices to quit. And then does the Spider-Man always get back up? But like almost each of those points where he gets to quit are like ratcheting up the expectations exponentially until we hit yeah. a, you know, the universe could collapse event. That's pretty yeah. big stakes. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, cause I actually find the classic Spider-Man to be already compelling in a very similar way to how Batman is, which is cause you know, you have, like you're saying, you have these family expectations that are all very relatable. Like what narratives are spoken into us about what we should achieve or what we must achieve that we just pick up from being raised in, in family cultures with expectations from authority figures and whatnot. But what I find really compelling, even the classic Spider-Man is it at least touches on, I think another source of that kind of expectation setting. That's not very talked about, which is the expectations that, kind of can form within us or that can become presumed within us that actually come from like uncontrollable circumstances, trauma and suffering. Because I think what this character hmm. is interesting is he develops an expectation for himself that comes from how can I kind of make up for what I believe to be caught like the death of my uncle that I believe is caused by my actions. Right. So what he's really sure. doing is he has these expectations that he's grappling with of like, do I do this because I'm trying to right a wrong? Because I'm trying to correct an out of balance equation in the universe. And that and that's just the basic Spider-Man that's grappling with like, what expectations do we form by the kind of like mishandling how we go about healing or grappling with really pretty big instances of like discordance and trauma and, and disassociation and all these problems 
So I actually think that's interesting. I relate to uh, the reason I find it interesting is I relate to that a lot. I mean, I think any of us who have yeah. like lost a loved one, you have some narrative at some point that's like, I should live better in their memory, in their honor, mm. to honor them. And we kind of like sure. think that without thinking of like the weight, the cosmic weight, the existential weight that we're putting on ourselves at such moment. Like, how could I ever live in such a way that would make this dead person's life somehow meaningful kind of like in hindsight? That's crazy. That's like, mm. that's heavy. That's heavy stuff that we, we kind of flippantly adopt and put onto our shoulders. And then I think on top of that, this movie takes that already interesting idea and then kind of like makes it deeper because obviously we already talked about how the uncle is a complex character. So there's that. But then on top of that, he's uh, Nick pointed out, he's taking over the legacy of a Spider-Man that he witnessed being murdered. Like there's that yeah, whole expectation. He saw Spider-Man die. The yeah. Sp original Spider-Man. Exactly. So I think that's really interesting where it's like he lives in a universe where there is the Spider-Man and he also feels like he has to step into that Spider-Man's like straight from the comic book pages shoes. So that's just a whole nother layer to that, that thing. But that, I think that's what popped into my mind of like, what expectations do we adopt internally that just came from things that were done unto us or that happened to us? And, and I think that's, yeah. that's very rarely wrestled with in, in these kind of stories. Mike, you actually remind me, we, we, we somehow haven't mentioned it yet, even though I think it's a pretty touching scene. Uh, there's this great scene in the movie too, when after obviously uncle Aaron has died and, and miles goes back to his um, like kind of student dorm at, at visions Academy, uh, which it was really hard not to recode it as college, even though my brain knew it was high school, but different conversation. Yeah, fair. Um, it was very, there's this really cool moment when all of the different spider people talk about uh, their experiences losing someone and the way that that is such an integral part of the character that it's sort of what is driving each of them in its own way. I think it's fascinating, Mike, that you touch upon the sort of strangeness of the fact that while very relatable, there's almost this aspect of how, how healthy is that as a, as, you know, like yeah. what there's something about that, that almost comes across as like, you know, are you are, yeah. It's like you said, are you trying to correct a wrong in a way that, that it can't be done? Is that a futile exercise from a certain perspective? Um, but it is a really touching moment. It, it's such an interesting sort of thought experiment that that is such a critical part of the character that across all of these universes, they all share that of, I can't save everybody. And that is always driving me forward that I, I don't want to lose people again. Um, well, and, and, yeah. and just to say, to make it relatable to me and then I'll shut up. Like I find that deeply like, I don't know, re relatable. I just used the word twice, but whatever. I'm really bad at podcasting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I find that relatable because, like, I I think if you've if you've done a level of self reflection, like, there is obviously an, an immediate thing that you can relate to with the parents. Like, like I said, we already get that, but I do think there is a journey that all of us go on in terms of when you were talking earlier about like, am I making these decisions because I want to? or because I feel compelled to, or because I need to? Am I choosing this path? Or am I doing it because I've just developed a tape that's like, man, my best friend died, so I need to honor them in this specific way. And I need to actually like shape my life around trying to basically correct the uncorrectable. And at what point am I essentially just not living my life and thinking that I'm honoring something? Uh, that I'm 
achieving something by kind of like a fruitless martyrdom in which I'm actually letting something that was done unto me live in my head and direct the entire path of how I behave moving forward. And that's like a pretty existentially uh, (laughs) complex, weighty thing. (laughs) But that's something I, I, as someone who has lost people, that is a, a grappling and a wrestling that I I have done before and continue to do and find deeply, deeply human. So I just want to make sure I, I, I shout out that like I see myself in that clearly. And that's not something that I would say for like Iron Man's struggle. So it's just another thing to shout out. Again, another section becomes what makes this movie work. Yeah. Every section is just why this movie works in disguise. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, n- I know this is a little bit broad, but Nick, do you have any any thoughts on that, or in general on the character kind of kind of in in relationship with this? Well, I think like Spider Man has always been the everyman character. It doesn't matter which iteration. So even on what Mike was talking about, there's smaller instances in the movie, like when they beat him up or when they take the goober and he has to talk to his dad while he's or his dad talks to him while he's tied up on the chair. There were so many points where Spider-Man really gets knocked down over and over and over. But then at the end puts on the black suit, does the thing, saves the world that like the whole motif is designed for you to relate to it, but feel like you can overcome like Spider-Man does. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the most powerful part about the the character specifically. And, and you know, I, I have a lot of problems with the idea of superheroes, but that's the part about it that I actually do find sort of the most exciting is as cliche as it sounds. And this movie actually says it explicitly several times. It, it's not about the thing that makes the characters heroic isn't supposed to be the powers, but it's supposed to be the, the, the response. Right. And this movie even calls out specifically. I always was he say I always get up again. That's the key thing about the character is that as he gets hit, he has to keep bringing himself back up. I actually really like in the movie that Miles's journey illustrates that really nicely. Uh, and this goes back to when we were talking about the, the stakes of the movie, that Miles keeps getting put into worse and worse situations over the course of the movie. And really all he does, like we said, is keep pushing himself forward. Like he... The, the the revelation is only that he has it within him to um, keep fighting, I guess. And as again, as possibly cliche as that is, I think it still is a, a very resonant message, you know, and is it is still kind of I would even say in a sense unique within superheroes, just given the way that it's not about ultimately the powers, but about the character. thank you guys so much for listening uh we do have a final question that mike and i have for the group uh actually real quick too i just want to say nick thanks for recording with us it was a great episode had fun having you here it was awesome Uh, i'd I'd love to do it again one day it sounds like we're bringing you back for for, we have tombstone we have electra electra Electra. and we have uh batman forever as well we gotta get that (laughs) Yeah, gotta we get gotta, that one. Just yeah, we try, gotta do, the, do oh, them all. Oh, 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 and yeah. they, and we'll they, hit him all in one episode, and, honestly. And there will be blood. Nick really wants to come back for there will be blood. 
you know, I'll do it. I think I'll have much different takes than you on that movie. <laughs> now I suddenly desperately want you in for that. Just the idea of someone saying to Mike, when Mike says it's the greatest movie ever made, if someone were to say, oh, I'm not so sure. I just think that would be a great yeah. moment in, in well, the podcast this is, history. This is another peek behind our long friendship curtain is Nick and I have diametrically opposed uh, tastes in movies, like diametrically, which makes moments like this and Barbarian, The Night House, Hereditary. Like when Nick and I find a movie that we both love, it's like, like the, it's a beautiful moment. Yeah, the, the heavens open and like the spirit comes upon us because it's great. It's rare. Mike, he, are you implying that you don't like Batman Forever? Oh, oh no, I, would, I, I, I was sorry. I meant to list that <laughs> along with Electra. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait, oh, oh wait, God. hold on. Nick, do you like Avatar? Like the blue people Avatar? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's fun. Um, All right, we'll take it. We'll take it. Another we'll take one. It. Another yes. disagreement in the box. <laughs> that is a yes. All right, go finish the a, podcast. Was, it wasn't like a resounding yes, but, you know, whatever. Finish the podcast, John. <laughs> I quit. All right. Oh, wait. Well, first, we need to tell everyone that on the next episode, we will be discussing the Banshees of Inishirin, which Woo! came out last year in 2022. You uh, like that? Just got nominated for a lot of Academy Awards, like a lot, a lot. Um, at this point, the director is kind of a kind of a, a awards bait. Like, I mean, he's yeah. good enough that it's it's you know, but it's just interesting. He's been doing pretty well there. Um, but yeah, we do recommend watching that. Very similar tonally interested. to Spider Verse. Very similar. <laughs> I I I kind of doubt uh, doubt that but i haven't seen it actually yeah so i haven't seen the movie either this will be kind of an interesting experiment for us i guess we did it last episode too with uh bernie uh but yeah check that movie out if you want to watch that ahead of the podcast uh but to close out this episode we have a final question uh mike i'll go first so lots of very exciting side spider people in this movie obviously spider gwen um we have Spider-Man. What's the name of the Oscar Isaac Spider-Man? Like, because he he's in the comics too. Twenty ninety nine. There we go. Entering, interesting say, person number one. Sorry, interesting person number one. Spider Ham, uh, Spider-Man Noir, Miles Morales. Guys, there's a lot of prestige TV happening right now, right? We're seeing some of the most creative, exciting things happening in prestige TV. My question is, if you were head of HBO or Netflix or someone. And you could green light one of the Spider-Men from this movie, one of the Spider-People from this movie, for a full, high-budget, prestige TV show. Which one would you do? Um, I won't answer. I, I feel like there's an obvious answer, but I'm going to let one of you guys take it because I want to zag on this one. Yeah, I, I feel like the the gut reaction is probably all the same because it's Spider-Man Noir. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that, yeah. So that's the one everyone wants to see. Now, like, here's follow-up. But you Do can... you want to see Nicolas Cage in the role? Yes. What? Yeah, I'm here for that. <laughs> what? I'm here for that for sure. I, be... I won't see it if Nicolas Cage isn't in the role. <laughs> You'll protest if it's someone besides Nicolas Cage. Are you Cage telling me you can't imagine a Spider-Man noir that's just basically true detective? Like... Come on, it'd be great. Yeah, the the comic book Spider-Man Noirs are very similar to that. They're heads up, just cool noir detective stories. And he carries kinda, a now gun. Now I know it's real, I do kind of want to check out the. Is it? Yeah. Is that a recommendation, Nick? Should I check out the comics? Yes, the noir, noir series 
uh, I was a big fan. Um, Spider-Man Noir is really good. And Luke Cage Noir is actually the best one if you can find it. I did not know there was a Luke I didn't know this was a thing. I'm shocked. I went in on it's this. It's a comic for All right, everything. Well, we have, we have the obvious answer. I, I was going to zag with the Spider-Man 2099 uh just because i love oscar isaac that's that was the beginning and end of the zag yes yeah. i mean it's, it's oscar isaac though it would be the best one obviously. i do want to contest i do want to shout out an idea that we had off mic where the coens come in for a short miniseries and it's just a bleak nihilistic <laughs> spider-man where he dies halfway through to you know some cartel members and then uh tommy lee jones just like you know somberly reflects on the meaning of nothingness for the rest of the, for, I'd watch that for the seven run. more episodes. Yeah, it's gonna be great. I'm sort of surprised Netflix hasn't bought that already. <laughs> but, you know, uh, Mike, close us out. What's your What's your final question? Yeah, this is this is actually very just on the nose, and that is, what do you guys hope to get from the sequel coming out soon? Hmm, good question. I'll tell you what I hope not to get, because I'm happy with whatever they give me in a certain sense, as long as it's not a stand so like usually the follow-up to the super like the second movie is like what if we had two villains what if we had like three villains that are like really in like central to the character i'm nervous about the idea that's just gonna be like oh spider-man 29 is evil and like you know they're fighting each other the spider-men are fighting each other oh my god i don't know if it's that i'll be kind of disappointed Almost anything else I think I'm interested in. I'm excited about. I'll give you the comic book answer because I think they're going to nail it. This studio showed that they, they know what they're doing. Um, in the comic book in Spider-Verse, there is a Voltron Spider-Man named Leo Pardon. I want that one. Oh. I, I, what, can, can you expand on There's everything so many you words What does that mean? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm confused. It's a Spider-Man that yeah. drives a Voltron named okay. leopardon and beats his enemies with shining sword and pulls out the big like megazord voltron sword and takes you're him out you're saying actually voltron like what i'm thinking <laughs> of from the 80s cartoon yeah like, that is that is it's, connected it's to spider pretty much actually voltron but also a spider-man not gonna lie that sounds amazing straight up i i, I if if <laughs> i had a bad i had a boring answer i'm just gonna i did under that one that's what i want Yep, you're just stealing the Voltron. That's it, yeah, we're all gonna go with Leopardon. That's I'm so, on board. So great. Well, now that we've appropriately set everyone's expectations for the next two, do you know they greenlit two at once too? That no, also makes me nervous. I'm gonna say. That, I don't know. That's exciting. Yeah, there's one coming out this year and one next year. They they filmed them at this or they, they produced them at the same time. So I think again, it, I, I don't know why I get nervous. With I that, think what's exciting about it is what you said earlier in the pod, which is this movie can be fun without necessarily being as good as the original like it can maybe good not point. be as good, good plot point. wise but what we know is going to happen is it's going to be visually stunning it's going to have amazing soundtrack and it's going to be a beggar so at the very there least we we'll get that so and again we're still just praising the movie in every different <laughs> of the nick thank you so much for joining us as always uh, i'm jonathan divine joined by mike overstreet and we will see you guys on the next episode take care bye-bye